Section 46 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4 by James Boswell, Section 46. But let no man encourage or soothe himself in presumptuous sin from knowing that Johnson was sometimes hurried into indulgences which he thought criminal. I have exhibited this circumstance as a shade in so great a character, both from my sacred love of truth, and to show that he was not so weakly scrupulous as he has been represented by those who imagine that the sins of which a deep sense was upon his mind were merely such little venial trifles as pouring milk into his tea on good friday his understanding will be defended by my statement if his consistency of conduct be in some degree impaired but what wise man would for momentary gratifications deliberately subject himself to suffer such uneasiness as we find was experienced by johnson in reviewing his conduct as compared with his notion of the ethics of the gospel let the following passages be kept in remembrance o god giver and preserver of all life by whose power i was created and by whose providence i am sustained look down upon me with tenderness and mercy grant that i may not have been created to be finally destroyed that I may not be preserved to add wickedness to wickedness. O Lord, let me not sink into total depravity. Look down upon me and rescue me at last from the captivity of sin. Almighty and most merciful Father, who hast continued my life from year to year, grant that by longer life I may become less desirous of sinful pleasures and more careful of eternal happiness let not my years be multiplied to increase my guilt but as my age advances let me become more pure in my thoughts more regular in my desires and more obedient to thy laws forgive o merciful lord whatever i have done contrary to thy laws give me such a sense of my wickedness as may produce true contrition and effectual repentance so that when i shall be called into another state i may be received among the sinners to whom sorrow and reformation have obtained pardon for jesus christ's sake amen such was the distress of mind such the penitence of johnson in his hours of privacy and in his devout approaches to his maker his sincerity therefore must appear to every candid mind unquestionable it is of essential consequence to keep in view that there was in this excellent man's conduct no false principle of commutation no deliberate indulgence in sin in consideration of a counterbalance of duty his offending and his repenting were distinct and separate Footnote. Dr. Johnson related with very earnest approbation a story of a gentleman who, in an impulse of passion, overcame the virtue of a young woman. 
when she said to him i am afraid we have done wrong he answered yes we have done wrong for i would not debauch her mind Boswell. End of footnote. and when we consider his almost unexampled attention to truth his inflexible integrity his constant piety who will dare to cast a stone at him besides let it never be forgotten that he cannot be charged with any offence indicating badness of heart anything dishonest base or malignant that on the contrary he was charitable in an extraordinary degree so that even in one of his own rigid judgments of himself easter eve seventeen eighty one while he says i have corrected no external habits he is obliged to own i hope that since my last communion i have advanced by pious reflections in my submission to god and my benevolence to man i am conscious that this is the most difficult and dangerous part of my biographical work and i cannot but be very anxious concerning it i trust that i have got through it preserving at once my regard to truth to my friend and to the interests of virtue and religion nor can i apprehend that more harm can ensue from the knowledge of the irregularity of johnson guarded as i have stated it than from knowing that addison and parnell were intemperate in the use of wine which he himself in his lives of those celebrated writers and pious men has not forborne to record it is not my intention to give a very minute detail of the particulars of johnson's remaining days of whom it was now evident that the crisis was fast approaching when he must die like men and fall like one of the princes Footnote. boswell on february tenth seventeen ninety one describing to malone the progress of his book says i have now before me page four hundred and eighty eight in print and nine hundred and twenty three pages of the copy manuscript only is exhausted and there remains eighty besides the death as to which i shall be concise though solemn pray how shall i wind up shall i give the character from my tour somewhat enlarged mr croker is clearly in error in saying that mr boswell's absence and the jealousy between him and some of johnson's other friends prevented his being able to give the particulars which he mr croker has supplied in the appendix in this appendix is mr hull's narrative which boswell had seen and used End of footnote. yet it will be instructive as well as gratifying to the curiosity of my readers to record a few circumstances on the authenticity of which they may perfectly rely as i have been at the utmost pains to obtain an accurate account of his last illness from the best authority dr heberden footnote on being asked in his last illness what physician he had sent for dr heberden replied he ultimus romanorum the last of the learned physicians End of dr brocklesby dr warren footnote 
mr green related that when some of johnson's friends desired that dr warren should be called in he said they might call in whom they pleased and when warren was called at his going away johnson said you have come in at the eleventh hour but you shall be paid the same with your fellow labourers francis put into dr warren's coach a copy of the english poets croker dr warren ten years later attended boswell in his last illness he was the great-grandfather of colonel sir charles warren g c m g f r s chief commissioner of police and a footnote and dr butter physicians generously attended him without accepting any fees as did mr cruikshank surgeon and all that could be done from professional skill and ability was tried to prolong a life so truly valuable he himself indeed having on account of his very bad constitution been perpetually applying himself to medical inquiries united his own efforts with those of the gentlemen who attended him and imagining that the dropsical collection of water which oppressed him might be drawn off by making incisions in his body he with his usual resolute defiance of pain cut deep when he thought that his surgeon had done it too tenderly Footnote. this bold experiment sir john hawkins has related in such a manner as to suggest a charge against johnson of intentionally hastening his end a charge so very inconsistent with his character in every respect that it is injurious even to refute it as sir john has thought it necessary to do it is evident that what johnson did in hopes of relief indicated an extraordinary eagerness to retard his dissolution boswell murphy says that for many years when johnson was not disposed to enter into the conversation going forward whoever sat near his chair might hear him repeating from shakespeare measure for measure act three scene one ah but to die and go we know not where to lie in cold obstruction and to rot this sensible warm motion to become a kneaded clot and the delighted spirit to bathe in fiery floods and from milton paradise lost book two line one forty six who would lose though full of pain this intellectual being johnson the year before at a time when he thought that he must submit to the surgeon's knife wrote to mrs thrale you would not have me for fear of pain perish in putrescence i shall i hope with trust in eternal mercy lay hold of the possibility of life which yet remains hawkins records that one day johnson said to his doctor how many men in a year die through the timidity of those whom they consult for health i want length of life and you fear giving me pain which i care not for another day when mr cruikshank scarified his leg he cried out deeper deeper i will abide the consequence you are afraid of your reputation but that is nothing to me to those about him he said you all pretend to love me but you do not love me so well as i myself do 
Wyndham says that he reproached Hebberden with being timidorum timidissimus. Throughout he acted up to what he had said. I will be conquered. I will not capitulate. End of footnote. About eight or ten days before his death, when Dr. Brocklesby paid him his morning visit, he seemed very low and desponding, and said, I have been as a dying man all night. He then emphatically broke out in the words of Shakespeare, Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased, pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow, raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some sweet oblivious antidote cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart to which dr brocklesby readily answered from the same great poet therein the patient must minister to himself johnson expressed himself much satisfied with the application on another day after this when Talking on the subject of prayer, Dr. Brocklesby repeated from Juvenal, Orandum est ut sit men sana in corpore sano, and so on, to the end of the tenth satire. But in running it quickly over, he happened in the line, Qui spatium vitae extremum intermunera ponat, to pronounce premum for extremum at which Johnson's critical ear instantly took offence, and discoursing vehemently on the unmetrical effect of such a lapse, he showed himself as full as ever of the spirit of the Quimerian. Footnote. Johnson, three days after his stroke of palsy, wrote, When I waked, I found Dr. Brocklesby sitting by me. He fell to repeating Juvenal's ninth satire, but I let him see that the province was mine. Having no near relations, it had been for some time Johnson's intention to make a liberal provision for his faithful servant, Mr. Francis Barber, whom he looked upon as particularly under his protection, and whom he had all along treated truly as an humble friend. Footnote. Johnson, on his way to Scotland, changed horses, he wrote, at Darlington, where Mr. Cornelius Harrison, a cousin German of mine, was perpetual curate. He was the only one of my relations who ever rose in fortune above penury, or in character above neglect. Malone, in a note to later editions, shows that Johnson, shortly before his death, was trying to discover some of his poor relations. End of footnote. Having asked Dr. Brocklesby what would be a proper annuity to a favourite servant, and being answered that it must depend on the circumstances of the master, and that in the case of a nobleman fifty pounds a year was considered as an adequate reward for many years' faithful service, then, said Johnson, shall I be nobilissimus? for I mean to leave Frank seventy pounds a year, and I desire you to tell him so. Footnote. Mr. Wyndham records that the day before Johnson made his will, he recommended Frank to him as to one who had will and power to protect him. He continues, Having obtained my assent to this, he 
proposed that Frank should be called in, and desiring me to take him by the hand in token of the promise, repeated before him the recommendation he had just made of him, and the promise I had given to attend to it. End of footnote. It is strange, however, to think that Johnson was not free from that general weakness of being averse to execute a will, so that he delayed it from time to time. Footnote. Johnson wrote five years earlier to Mrs. Thrale about her husband's will. Do not let those fears prevail which you know to be unreasonable. A will brings the end of life no nearer. End of footnote. And had it not been for Sir John Hawkins's repeatedly urging it, I think it is probable that his kind resolution would not have been fulfilled. After making one which, as Sir John Hawkins informs us, extended no further than the promised annuity, Johnson's final disposition of his property was established by will and codicil, of which copies are subjoined. Footnote. In the name of God, Amen. I, Samuel Johnson, being in full possession of my faculties, but fearing this night may put an end to my life, do ordain this my last will and testament. I bequeath to God a soul polluted with many sins, but I hope purified by Jesus Christ. I leave seven hundred and fifty pounds in the hands of Bennet Langton, Esquire, three hundred pounds in the hands of Mr. Barclay and Mr. Perkins, Brewers, one hundred and fifty pounds in the hands of Dr. Percy, Bishop of Dromore, one thousand pounds, three per cent annuities in the public funds, and one hundred pounds now lying by me in ready money. All these before-mentioned sums and property I leave, I say, to Sir Joshua Reynolds, Sir John Hawkins, and Dr. William Scott of Doctors' Commons, in trust for the following uses. That is to say, to pay to the representatives of the late William Innes, bookseller in St. Paul's Churchyard, the sum of two hundred pounds. To Mrs. White, my female servant, one hundred pounds stock in the three percent annuities aforesaid. The rest of the aforesaid sums of money and property, together with my books, plate, and household furniture, I leave to the before-mentioned Sir Joshua Reynolds, Sir John Hawkins, and Dr. William Scott, also in trust, to the use of Francis Barber, my manservant, a negro, in such a manner as they shall judge most fit and available to his benefit. And I appoint the aforesaid Sir Joshua Reynolds, Sir John Hawkins, and Dr. William Scott, sole executors of this my last will and testament, hereby revoking all former wills and testaments whatever. In witness whereof I hereunto subscribe my name and affix my seal, this eighth day of December, 1784. Samuel Johnson, L.S. Signed, sealed, published, declared, and delivered by the said testator as his last will and testament in the presence of us, the word to being first inserted in the opposite page, George Strahan, John Damelin. By way of codicil to my last will and testament, I, Samuel Johnson, give, devise, and bequeath my messwidge or tenement situate at Litchfield in the county of Stafford, 
with the appurtenances in the tenure or occupation of mrs bond of lichfield aforesaid or of mr hinchman her undertenant to my executors in trust to sell and dispose of the same and the money arising from such a sale i give and bequeath as follows namely to thomas and benjamin sons of fisher johnson late of leicester and blank blank whiting daughter of thomas johnson late of coventry and the granddaughter of the said thomas johnson one full and equal fourth part each but in case there shall be more granddaughters than one of the said thomas johnson living at the time of my decease i give and bequeath the part or share of that one to and equally between such granddaughters i give and bequeath to the reverend mr rogers of berkeley near froom in the county of somerset the sum of one hundred pounds requesting him to apply the same towards the maintenance of elizabeth hearn a lunatic I also give and bequeath to my godchildren, the son and daughter of Mauritius Lowe, painter, each of them one hundred pounds of my stock in the three per cent consolidated annuities, to be applied and disposed of by and at the discretion of my executors, in the educational settlement in the world of them, my said legatees. Also I give and bequeath to Sir John Hawkins, one of my executors, the Annales Ecclesiastici of Baronius and Hollinsheds and Stowe's Chronicles, and also an Octavo Common Prayer Book. To Bennet Langton, Esquire, I give and bequeath my polyglot Bible. To Sir Joshua Reynolds, my great French dictionary by Martinier, and my own copy of my folio English dictionary of the last revision. To Sir William Scott, one of my executors, the Dictionnaire de Commerce, and Lectius's edition of the Greek poets, Mr. Wyndham, Poetae Graeci Heroici for Henricum Stephanum, to the Reverend Mr. Strawn, Vicar of Islington in Middlesex, Mill's Greek Testament, Bayes's Greek Testament by Stevens, or my Latin Bibles, and my Greek Bible by Vecelius, to Dr. Hebberden, Dr. Brocklesby, Dr. Butter, and Mr. Cruikshank, the surgeon who attended me, Mr. Holder, my apothecary, Gerard Hamilton, Esquire, Mrs. Gardiner of Snow Hill, Mrs. Francis Reynolds, Mr. Houle, and the Reverend Mr. Houle, his son, each a book at their election to keep as a token of remembrance. I also give and bequeath to Mr. John de Milan two hundred pounds consolidated three per cent annuities, and to Mr. Sastris, the Italian master, the sum of five pounds to be laid out in books of piety for his own use. And whereas the said Bennet Langton hath agreed, in consideration of the sum of seven hundred and fifty pounds mentioned in my will to be in his hands, to grant and secure an annuity of seventy pounds payable during the life of me and my servant, Francis Barber, and the life of the survivor of us, to Mr. George Stubbs in trust for us, my mind and will is that in case of my decease before the said agreement shall be perfected the said sum of seven hundred and fifty pounds and the bond for securing the said sum shall go to the said francis barber and i hereby give and bequeath to him the same in lieu of the bequests in his favour contained in my said will and i hereby empower my executors to deduct and retain all expenses that shall or may be incurred in the execution of my said will 
or in this codicil thereto out of such a state and effects as i shall die possessed of all the rest residue and remainder of my estate and effects are given bequeathed to my said executors in trust for the said francis barber his executors and administrators witness my hand and seal this ninth day of december seventeen eighty four samuel johnson l s signed sealed published declared and delivered by the said samuel johnson as and for a codicil to his last will and testament in the presence of us who in his presence and at his request and also in the presence of each other have hereto subscribed our names as witnesses john copley william gibson henry cole upon these testamentary deeds it is proper to make a few observations his express declaration with his dying breath as a christian as it had been often practised in such solemn writings was of real consequence from this great man for the conviction of a mind equally acute and strong might well overbalance the doubts of others who were his contemporaries the expression polluted may to some convey an impression of more than ordinary contamination but that is not warranted by its genuine meaning as appears from the rambler the same word is used in the will of dr sanderson bishop of lincoln who was piety itself his legacy of two hundred pounds to the representatives of mr innes bookseller in st paul's churchyard proceeded from a very worthy motive he told sir john hawkins that his father having become a bankrupt mr innes had assisted him with money or credit to continue his business this said he i consider as an obligation on me to be grateful to his descendants the amount of his property proved to be considerably more than he had supposed it to be sir john hawkins estimates the bequest to francis barbara to some little short of fifteen hundred pounds including an annuity of seventy pounds to be paid to him by mr langton in consideration of seven hundred and fifty pounds which johnson had lent to that gentleman sir john seems not a little angry at this bequest and mutters a caveat against ostentatious bounty and favour to negroes but surely when a man has money entirely of his own acquisition especially when he has no near relations he may without blame dispose of it as he pleases and with great propriety to a faithful servant Mr. Barber, by the recommendation of his master, retired to Lichfield, where he might pass the rest of his days in comfort. It has been objected that Johnson has omitted many of his best friends when leaving books to several, as tokens of his last remembrance. The names of Dr. Adams, Dr. Taylor, Dr. Burney, Mr. Hector, Mr. Murphy, and the author of this work, and others who were intimate with him, are not to be found in his will this may be accounted for by considering that as he was very near his dissolution at the time he probably mentioned such as happened to occur to him and that he may have recollected that he had formerly shown others such proofs of his regard that it was not necessary to crowd his will with their names mrs lucy porter was much displeased that nothing was left to her but besides what i have now stated 
she should have considered that she had left nothing to Johnson by her will, which was made during his lifetime, as appeared at her decease. His enumerating several persons in one group, and leaving them each a book at their election, might possibly have given occasion to a curious question as to the order of choice, had they not luckily fixed on different books. His library, though by no means handsome in its appearance, was sold by Mr. Christie for £247.9, shillings. many people being desirous to have a book which had belonged to Johnson. In many of them he had written little notes, sometimes tender memorials of his departed wife, as this was dear Tetty's book. Sometimes occasional remarks of different sorts. Mr. Lysons of Clifford's Inn has favoured me with the two following. In Holy Rules and Helps to Devotion by Brian Dopper, Lord Bishop of Winton. Preces quidam, question mark, quidem, diretto dirigento tractasse, spero non inauditus, question mark, inauditas. In the Rosicrucian Infallible Axiomata by John Hayden, gentlemen, prefixed to which are some verses addressed to the author, signed Ambrose Waters, Master of Arts, Exeter College, Oxford, these Latin verses were written to Hobbes by Bathurst upon his treatise on human nature and have no relation to the book. An odd fraud. Puzzle. Note see appendix F for notes on this footnote. End of footnote. The consideration of numerous papers of which he was possessed seems to have struck Johnson's mind with a sudden anxiety and as they were in great confusion, it is much to be lamented that he had not entrusted some faithful and discreet person with the care and selection of them, instead of which he in a precipitate manner burnt large masses of them with little regard, as I apprehend, to discrimination. Not that I suppose we have thus been deprived of any compositions which he had ever intended for the public eye, but from what escaped the flames, I judge that many curious circumstances relating both to himself and to other literary characters have perished. Footnote. He burned, writes Mrs. Piozzi, many letters in the last week, I am told, and those written by his mother drew from him a flood of tears. Mr. Sastre saw him cast a melancholy look upon their ashes, which he took up and examined, to see if a word was still legible. End of footnote. Two very valuable articles, I am sure, we have lost, which were two quarto volumes containing a full, fair, and most particular account of his own life from his earliest recollection. I owned to him that having accidentally seen them, I had read a great deal in them, and apologising for the liberty I had taken, asked him if I could help it. Footnote. Boswell, in his Hebrides, says that Johnson, starting northwards on his tour, left in a drawer in Boswell's house one volume of a pretty full and curious diary of his life, of which I have, he continues, a few fragments. 
the other volume we may conjecture johnson took with him for boswell had seen both and apparently seen them only once he mentions that these few fragments had been transferred to him by the residuary legatee francis barber one large fragment which was published after barber's death he could never have seen for he never quotes from it End of footnote. he placidly answered my sir i do not think you could have helped it i said that i had for once in my life felt half an inclination to commit theft it had come into my mind to carry off those two volumes and never see him more upon my inquiring how this would have affected him sir said he i believe i should have gone mad footnote one of these volumes sir john hawkins informs us he put into his pocket for which the excuse he states is that he meant to preserve it from falling into the hands of a person whom he describes so as to make it sufficiently clear who is meant having strong reasons said he to suspect that this man might find and make an ill use of the book why sir john should suppose that the gentleman alluded to would act in this manner he has not thought fit to explain but what he did was not approved of by johnson who upon being acquainted of it without delay by a friend expressed great indignation and warmly insisted on the book being delivered up and afterwards in the supposition of his missing it without knowing by whom it had been taken he said sir i should have gone out of the world distrusting half mankind sir john next day wrote a letter to johnson assigning reasons for his conduct upon which johnson observed to mr langton bishop sanderson could not have dictated a better letter i could almost say melius est sic penituisse quam non erasse the agitation into which johnson was thrown by this incident probably made him hastily burn those precious records which must ever be regretted boswell according to mr croker stevens was the man whom hawkins said that he suspected porson in his witty panegyrical epistle on hawkins against johnson says i shall attempt a translation in square brackets of malleus est etc for the benefit of your mere english readers there is more joy over a sinner that repenteth than over a just person that needeth no repentance and we know from an authority not to be disputed that johnson was a great lover of penitence god put it in the mind to take it hence that thou mightst win the more thy in square brackets johnson's love pleading so wisely in excuse of it End of footnote. End of section 46.